But this morning, we're going to pick up with the Word of God. We're going to pick up with the story of Elijah. The guys leading worship graciously worked in. What we'll hope to do, I hope to do, is sort of respond and worship at the end of this morning. And maybe we'll be praying for one or two of you as well. Because you won't be a Christian, you can't be a Christian for very long without hitting a few difficulties and discouragements. And I'm, I'm talking this morning about handling discouragement. And uh, in a sense, I'm missing out the high spot of Elijah. We saw yesterday about him growing in faith, remarkable things happening um, when, he, when he went to the brook Kerith and then went on to uh, the widow of Zarephath. But actually that was God teaching him and he grew in faith. Uh, and there came a climax, which we're not even going to be particularly looking at. We'll refer back to it in 1 Kings 18, where he... Uh, confronts the prophets of Baal. It's awesome stuff, it's exciting stuff, and it's well worth reading at the right time, please do. But we've seen Elijah move through so many things. He's trusted God for provision. He's managed to sort of live through three years of drought and see God provide for him every day, food and water. Amazing stuff, really. He's, He's imparted faith to this widow. He raised her son from the dead saw God do an amazing miracle with the widow of Zarephath, amazing miracle. Um, and then he saw an even more amazing miracle, saw on the, on the Mount, on Mount Carmel, saw the, the fire fall and, distru- and burn up the sacrifice, which was already soaked in water. Goodness knows where they got the water from. Valuable thing to do in a drought. Maybe it was seawater, I don't know. But they soaked it in water and still the fire fell. And uh, he, he, was, he was standing there like a lion. You know, he mocked the prophets of Baal, shout louder, perhaps your God is asleep. Actually, in the literal translation, it's perhaps he's in the toilet. That's one of the things he says. He really gets, gets wound up. He's, he's on a high. You know, perhaps he's, perhaps he's in the restroom. Shout a bit louder, you know. He, and then boom, the fire falls. And he says, we're going to slay these prophets of Baal. You know, Jezebel's been killing the prophets of the Lord. We're going to get rid of these men. And, you know, the people of Israel begin to rise up and say, yeah, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. This is the revival. This is the breakthrough he's looking for. And then he prays for rain. And after three years, he sees a cloud in the sky like a man's hand. And gradually the clouds build, huge black clouds. Rain begins to pour down. He goes to goes to Ahab, he says, if you don't run, you're not going to get back. There's the rain is coming. If you don't get your chariot, rain's coming. And uh, Ahab is a bit shaken. He gets in his chariot to go home. And Elijah runs with supernatural strength and runs ahead of Ahab in the chariot. It's like Philip in the New Testament. He's experiencing all sorts of miracles, all sorts of breakthroughs in God. And things are really exciting. Now, we've got to remember all the way through... There's a little phrase in our mind from James, Elijah was a man just like us. And we've understood that a little bit in some of the bits we've looked at. But when you read 1 Corinthians 18, you think, I don't think I'm quite in his class. And I'm probably not in many ways. But on the other hand, you you almost think this is superhuman. This is beyond what I would even dream of understanding. But when you get to 1 Kings 19, you get to understand that Elijah is just like us. And there's actually stuff to learn, which will be very important for all of us as Christians. But if you've been a Christian for a while, it's going to be likely that what we read here will have some resonance with you. Maybe Elijah does live rather dramatically. He has great highs and he actually has great lows. But the principle of what happens here might well resonate. I believe God's put it on my heart to preach to you this morning on this one, which is quite a, a pastoral message, if I can put it that way. And then after the break, we'll be focusing back on the wider picture, the bigger picture. But I I feel it's important we take time out for this one and learn because it's all part of the story. Remember what I said yesterday, real people, real history, real God, really learning, battling through. And uh, they're our forefathers. And uh, we're now carrying the baton in our day, in our generation, the baton to tell people of God, to carry the covenant truths of the living God to people. So let's read. 1 Kings 19 and verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with you, beg your pardon, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's a powerful statement. 
commentators would say it's, it's almost an occult statement, it's a curse. It's framed in a very powerful curse way. Jezebel says, I'm cursing you, you're going to be dead. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? We'll just read a few more verses. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Lord, I just pray this morning that you would speak to us out from this word. I thank you for Elijah. Lord, I thank you for your word that's honest. I thank you that he was a man just like us. But Lord, I thank you that you used him mightily, and I want you to use people like us mightily. And Lord, as we are in a battle, as he was, I want you to strengthen us. I want you to help us to understand. I want you to help us to line up with your purposes, that we might complete the task you've called us to in our day and generation. Help us, Lord, this morning. Help me, I pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's ask the first question. What happened to Elijah? One moment, he's standing there confidently on Mount Carmel, calling down fire from heaven and bringing an execution of 450 prophets. He's on his own, remember, one guy. He gets the people on his side, and presumably they play their part in the execution of the prophets. And then within hours, actually, it would seem, 24 hours at the most, he is running for his life into the desert. And suddenly he seems very human. He seems just like us. Actually, Elijah crumpled under the pressure. It's what seems to happen. He's frightened by the threats of the evil queen Jezebel. That scares him, rigid. And through whatever he experienced, we're going to analyze it for a few minutes, he became deeply depressed. I mean, he's discouraged, and in the end, he's depressed. Really depressed. And he says in verse 4, he prays, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. That is a heartfelt prayer. (laughs) I've had enough, Lord. Just let it sink in. I don't know if you've ever said a phrase like that. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Perhaps you haven't gone that far. Some of you might have done. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I just am no better than anybody else. I'm as bad as the rest of them. I'm no better. Take me out. This great man of prayer prays a prayer that is very unlike him, unworthy of him. And we'll talk in a minute about the fact God doesn't answer this prayer. (laughs) But actually, it's a very real human prayer. And I'd be surprised if you haven't felt the same. I certainly have. Over the years, I've been 32 years in church leadership. I couldn't tell you the number of times I felt like giving up. I really couldn't count them. I couldn't tell you the number of times I haven't looked at the people in my church who are in secular work and thought, I really wish I was in secular work. I look back with rose-tinted spectacles to when I was a full-time teacher. Um, there are times when I've, I've done things that I, I now smile about. I sort of laugh at myself anyway. You probably don't have these here. But in England, in my 
country, we have things called library vans. Now, they're mobile libraries. You know what a library is, of course. I'm not being rude. But, you know, so they're mobile libraries. You do have books. Oh, you read? Oh, wow. We're on the winner here. <laughs> Bless you. I know you're... But we have these... The thing is, they go out to the towns and the villages. And what it is, is one guy sits in a nice big van full of books and drives into the little villages and sits there all morning while people come borrow a book and he can read one. I thought, I would love to do that. Leading the church, I thought, I wonder if there's any vacancies for a library. I just, on my own, tootling around the countryside, sit there full of books, let people just come. They'll be happy. Have a book, one for your kiddie, and I'll read one. I, I, and that was the good times. <laughs> And, I mean, without being funny, I personally, I wouldn't have said it got suicidal, but I've understood it. I've understood it. Sometimes it seems like, how do you get out of this? How do you get out? You're trying to obey God. It's just not turning out right. You know, you can't go for the library van. How do you get out of it? I know a very good friend of mine who's a strong character and uh, a great guy. I, I know that he felt very low at one time. And uh, went for a walk and a talk with Terry Virgo. And uh, do you know what Terry said to him as they were walking along to him? He told me this later. Terry said, have you felt suicidal yet? Now, he didn't say it ironically. He wasn't saying it humorously. You'd be surprised if you knew who I'm talking about. But he said, and now the guy hadn't. But Terry was in- indicating, maybe you have. Let's talk about how you really feel. So actually, there can be a real heaviness and a depression that even comes on the, the leaders, let alone the people. I'm not, I'm not saying leaders alone experience this. But actually the Bible contains a lot of encouragement for us. I don't know if you've ever noticed how much the Bible, God says, don't be afraid. Be not, he says it in Joshua, it's all over the place. You get it in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Now, it's a clue. God says it because he knows we're often going to feel afraid. Then if you come into the New Testament you can find these sort of things. Do not give up. Do not lose heart. Now, we can take those rather like a command, which, yeah, they sort of are, but they're a compassionate command. And if you read them in context, they're not... Uh, I mean, Hebrews is one that comes to mind. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, so you don't grow weary and lose heart. So they're not like just, hey, cheer up, lads, you know, take a deep breath, stand straight. It's not that sort of stuff. It's because God knows that you can feel like giving up. You can feel you losing heart, exactly as Elijah felt. I've had enough. And then the Bible says, don't say that. Do this. And tells you what to do. Actually, Elijah is not alone in reaching this point. Three of the most righteous and dynamic heroes in the Bible, I know dynamic's the right word, but outstanding heroes in the Bible all got suicidal with God. Moses, you'll find in Numbers 11, verse 11 to 15, won't turn to it, he prays for his life to be taken. Obviously, we've just read Elijah. The other one is Job. In Job 6, verses 8 to 9, they pray, God, take my life. So Moses, Elijah, and Job, you're in good company if you get that far and that low. They all pray for God to take their life. Now, as I said, Elijah saw a lot of prayers answered. And James tells us that he was a mighty man of prayer, earnestly prayed, a man of faith, and saw prayers answered. But this one isn't answered, is it? Not as Elijah prays it. Elijah prays, take my life. God doesn't do it. Does other things. We'll see what God does in a minute. But he doesn't take his life. Now, what's the lesson from that? Well, I think it's a big lesson. Prayer is a relationship with God. It's talking with God. Sometimes arguing with God. Sometimes pouring out your heart and your emotion to God. It's real. Prayer is not a mantra. where you, if, you, if you press the buttons in the right order, you get what you ask for. So if you don't get an answer, you can't have got the faith lined up the right way. Prayer isn't... I mean, faith's important in the Christian life. Don't misunderstand me. We talked about it yesterday. But sometimes people get so legalistic and artificial and almost religious and mantra-like about prayer. Prayer is talking to God. And God does answer our prayers, but sometimes in his love and compassion, he doesn't. And this one, he doesn't. He just lets Elijah unload, you know, what do we say, spill the guts. I don't know what you say over here. Let's, you know, he, 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 he's, he just pours out his heart. And God listens. 
And he doesn't do what Elijah actually asks him to do. God doesn't give you everything you ask for because he's too wise for that. But your prayer is a relational thing with God. Sometimes you'll hear back, which is really what happens to Elijah. He gets an answer a different way. God begins to engage with Elijah, which is what we're going to look at for a few minutes. But before we do, let's analyze. We've looked at what happened to Elijah. Sorry if I didn't highlight that. Next one is, why did Elijah get depressed? Now, when you read commentaries on Elijah, many of the people writing the commentaries give him a hard time. I'm surprised. I've read some outstanding people on this. And, you know, they say, oh, Elijah got proud. Well, maybe he did. We'll talk about that in a moment. Elijah did this. He shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have been at Mount Horeb. You know, God got in his face and said, what are you doing here? You ought to be back there. And I think, personally, I think those commentaries get it completely wrong. There are other commentaries that are much more, in my opinion, sensitive to Scripture and perhaps sensitive to the Spirit of God. And that's what I'm slightly going with, because I think we need to understand what happened to Elijah. I have no doubt criticism is due to him like it is to us. Clearly, he lost his focus on Yahweh, the Lord. He clearly lost his focus on God. We're going to try and understand why did he lose his focus on God, and how did he get his focus back on God. Now, this is not an academic study this morning. It's about you. (laughs) And if you're not discouraged today... You may well be in the next year or two, because it's a battle, okay? So don't switch off, young or old, try and learn from this, because what really did happen, clearly, is he lost his focus on God. On Mount Carmel, he knew the Lord, he is God. He's a God who can answer by fire. But by now, he's lost that focus, and he's been discouraged. Let's just think what happened. Elijah genuinely cared about the spiritual state of his nation. He really cared about the honor of God's name. He was zealous for the name of his Lord. Aren't you like that? I hope you are. I hope you'd hardly be here if you weren't. Don't you care about the gospel reaching your nation? I'm provoking you to think, yeah, I do. Don't you care about your family growing up to love God? If you're an adult with family, don't you care that some of your relatives and friends don't know about Jesus? Of course you do. Don't, doesn't it disturb you how our modern society, I think it's true here, is it much with mine, is so dismissive of Jesus and his claims and so mixed up and pluralistic and all the rest of it, puts it all in the same bag. Doesn't it disturb you? It disturbed Elijah. I believe Elijah set all his hopes on what was happening in Mount Carmel. Now, I don't think he was wrong, particularly, and we'll have to walk our way through. This helps us to understand ourselves. But I think he thought, this is the moment, and he had every reason to think that. I mean, he saw fire fall. That's incredible. But more important than the fire was the people's reaction. People began to say, the Lord, he is God. These people who had been worshipping Baal began to say, the Lord, he is God. Yeah, we don't want Baal. We don't want his prophets. He seemed to have a breakthrough. His thinking was, this is what I've been looking for. This will turn the nation. Now we're moving. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a long time a Christian. And and there's times when people prophesy about revival. I've been through being baptized in the Spirit in the 70s and seeing David Watson. I've been through John Wimber coming to England. That was an incredible time. It was amazing conferences I went to. But see, Terry been through the Toronto stuff in the 90s. And every time, sometimes there's even specific prophecies that, you know, revival. And it's exciting stuff. Now, actually, I haven't yet seen real revival in the UK. I want to see thousands saved. We do Alpha courses, and we have six on it. And we have to, you have to remind yourself, that's still good. That's six who would go to hell and aren't now. But actually, I want to see 60 or even 600. <laughs> and when I hear stories of breakthroughs in other nations, do you know the effect that has on me? I get a bit fed up and depressed. <laughs> I mean, people think you, I mean, perhaps I'm weird or British, but people think this is really encouraging. In South Africa, we saw a thousand saved. I think I'm really discouraged. I saw six. <laughs> God, well, no, I'm not. I, I love it for their sake. I honestly can do that. I can say, oh, praise God. But inside, I'm thinking, God, why do we have such hard work? Anyway, let's come back to Elijah, not me. Anyway, this, this could end, turn up as a therapy session for John Grove. <laughs> There is, there is a danger, that's how this morning will end up, but you'll all bless me if you just are my... Uh, just listen, oh, John, yeah, we hear your pain. That's, 
That's fine. It will have benefited the kingdom, won't it? But I do want to benefit you as well, okay? So, uh, (laughs) they're saying the Lord, he is God. He had not only heard them say that, he had proved that it was God's drought. That's a big deal. They had three years of drought. He said, right, it'll it'll rain when I, I say so. I'm praying. He goes up and prays, God, now's the time. Send the rain. And the rain came. So you've got layer upon layer. Surely nobody could be, nobody can resist this. You know, you've seen the fireball. The people begin to shout out, this must be game over. And it wasn't. It was not game over. We win. Jesus is Lord. Everybody understands it. It was not game over. Here's the crunch. Ahab did not change. That's the first one we notice doesn't change, if you read it carefully. He watches this whole drama of Carmel. He sees it all happen. Now, Ahab is a bit of a wimp. He's a wuss, as we say in England. He's a bit of a, you know, I don't know what word to use here, but you can guess what I mean. So he, and he's a bit subdued, and he's a bit like, oh, wow, that's a bit, oh, dear. I've lost a lot of my profits, sort of thing. And, and then <laughs> Elijah says to him, you go and have a dinner. All right, I'll go and have dinner. You watch it. That's what Elijah says. You go back and have a supper. I say, okay, I will then. All right. And so he goes off, and Elijah runs ahead of him. And he's still on a high, obviously. And when he gets back to Ahab and Jezebel, neither of them have changed. Ahab is still Ahab. He goes and whinges to his wife, you should see what Elijah's done. He's killed all the prophets. This happened, this happened. We're in trouble. And she says, no, we're not, you silly man. We're not in trouble. We'll get him like the rest of them. And Jezebel does not change at all. Actually, there is no sign of real repentance. Ahab doesn't go, oh God, what have I done to this nation? You truly are God. Oh, Elijah, tell me how to get back to God. Jezebel doesn't go, oh no, oh no, the Lord is too strong. They don't do that. They don't do that. Have you ever been there? Hang on, it's not supposed to work like this. They're supposed to line up with Jesus. They're supposed to change that. The kids are all supposed to go on to glory straight away and, you know, love the Lord. And it's not working like I expect. You know, we often experience the same thing. A friend or a relative attends church, a gospel event, sees a healing, gets healed, and says, thanks, yep. Don't really believe in it, actually. What's the difference between Jesus and Muhammad? You've just been healed! You know, you know, and, and, or you, 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 you know, and uh, don't all religions say the same? What? What? And, you know, have you put on a gospel event and you know, nobody comes? And Christians come up to you and say, that was a great word. You think, yeah, it's a great word, but I wanted people saved or whatever. There is a mystery to it all. That, you know, there's even a mystery in people's reactions, which is mysterious. There's mysterious. Think of the, the crucifixion. You've got Jesus on the cross and you've got a thief either side of Jesus. A dying thief. Same context, same pe- situation looking at the same man and the same circumstances. One of them says, this man has done nothing wrong. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other one says, if you are who you say you are, get us off this cross and you, and curses him. How incredible. Right as Jesus is dying, one of them sees it and one of them hates him, curses him. It's incredible. You think, well, why is that? It's a mystery. I mean, some great writers, I mean, there's a great sermon on that, you know? There's a great sermon about all sorts of things, but, but some, I can't if I can get this right. One old writer I read said, one thief was saved so none should despair. I'm not going to get this right. One thief was saved so none should despair, but one was lost so no one should be complacent. He puts it much better than that. But it's, it, it's that sort of thing. It's just like a sober challenge. You don't win them all. You know, they don't all see it. There's a mystery. There's maybe something beyond our understanding this side of heaven. And so you, well, let's take the bottom line is this, folks. You cannot make other people do what you want them to do. You can't make them be a Christian. You can't make them grow in Jesus. You can't get inside and make them filled with the Spirit. Make them healed. You can't do it. It's God's work. You cannot make Jezebel change. You cannot make Ahab change. Now, we know the end of the story because the Bible, Jezebel was destined for judgment. Not by Elijah, 
after Elijah had gone to heaven, she is finished off by Jehu. And God prophesies that later on. That's what's going to happen to her. He tells, uh, you know, I've got plans. That woman is not, she's not going to change. She's going to be judged. Now, I'm not saying that to give you scares about people. It's not our job to do that. What I'm just saying is for Elijah, this was not what he planned. He, the nation, the, the, the people who actually rule the nation, who set the tone, had not changed. And so his discouragement reaches new depths. Ahab's uh, feeble, Jezebel is angry and hateful. And when she says, you're going to be dead, this woman's got form, as we say in England. This woman's got form. That means she's done this sort of thing before. She knows how to get people killed. If you uh, read, um, uh, well, first of all, I've got on the screen 1 Kings 19, 1 to 2, what she actually says, which we've just read. Thank you very much. There it is. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. And then the next one, thank you, because I've rushed along a bit. 1 Kings 18.4 tells us earlier, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken 100 of them, hidden them in caves in 50s, etc. So Jezebel can do it. So when Jezebel says to you, I'm going to have you, she means it. When she says, I'm going to kill you. In fact, actually for Elijah, things have got worse. Let this sink in. Actually, instead of getting better, they got worse. The two people who rule the country are not changed. And prior to this, Jezebel probably would have had trouble getting hold of him. Uh, He's been elusive. You can read that in the story. Now, she jolly well knows where he is, and she's got him in her gun sights. So actually, at one level, things have got worse. He is downright discouraged. That is what happens to Elijah, discouraged. Can I say, be careful about discouragement. Discouragement itself is unavoidable. I don't think you can avoid aspects of discouragement, things that disappoint. But often, that leads to a bigger problem. If you allow it, discouragement leads to a big problem. You've probably heard this. It's quite a famous sort of fable story. I don't know if you've heard it, but you probably have. I'll tell you quickly. Apparently, one day, the devil was having a garage sale. The devil's having a garage sale, and he puts out all the tools of his trade, and uh, people were coming and looking at them. And a man came up and looked at them, and there's some vicious-looking things there, really nasty-looking tools and weapons, lust, murder, hatred, you know, all sorts of ghastly things, and they're priced. They're all priced. And then over on one side is a very harmless-looking little tool, And it's more expensive than all the others. More money than all the others. And the guy says, why is that? That doesn't look like much. Why is that so expensive? And the devil turns over the label and says, ah, that's discouragement. That's my best tool. He said, when a life is locked up to any of my other tools, I can always open the door with that, and then I'll use one of the others. See, the, you know, It's not the discouragement. It's what it leads to. Then I'll come in with my lust. Then I'll come in with my anger. Then I'll come in with with the envy, the bitterness. Then I'll come in with the the division, the sourness, whatever it is. And so discouragement can do that. You can find, if you're not careful, that it opens the door to other things. You can suddenly say, what's the point? What's the point of working at my marriage? What's the point of staying with my partner? What's the point in still going to church? What's the point in still, uh, you know, praying for the kids? Or whatever it is. And the devil will get in with something which is really going to do damage. It's how we handle this encouragement that's quite important. And uh, we can be disappointed with things. We can get discouraged. We can be discouraged with delays and dilemmas in life. Things that happen and you don't know why. The job interview that didn't work out. I thought God said that I was to move to this place, or whatever it is. All sorts happen in life. But we have to be aware of them as something to handle in God. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. Get your eyes on Jesus. We'll get there before the end. And things like that are going to be very important for us in handling discouragement. Now, I think if we want to analyze this a little further, which I obviously do, um, I think there's a little more to it than just discourage. I think we need to look at, because we'll learn from it, what was the context Elijah was in. I would put the word exhaustion up. Thank you, it's the next one. I think he's probably not only discouraged, but exhausted. In context, 
Elijah has had an extraordinary day. An extraordinary day. Just think, he is still a man, just like you and I as a human being. He has done stuff which is almost beyond belief. He's, 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 he's seen this breakthrough from heaven. He's uh, run uh, like uh, the wind. But actually, all of this is on the back of three years of drought and three years where he's been sort of holding the nation before God in prayer. And I just want to say to you, a little bit personal to us, sometimes we can get super spiritual about what's happening to us, but actually, just watch your lifestyle, you can get exhausted. I think today, we are often too busy. We're often too busy. And we don't understand the downside of our lifestyle. We think it's all great, but it keeps us running like like a little animal in a wheel. We have hamsters in wheels. But it does. Let me give you just an example. For thousands of years, the fastest you could communicate was a galloping horse. That was the fastest you could communicate. You gave a message to a guy, got on a horse, and he galloped. That's the fastest you could communicate. For thousands of years. It only began to change 100 years or so ago. But today, every one of you in this room can communicate probably in half a dozen different ways. You've got Facebook, you've got texting, you've got mobile phones, you've got email, you've got uh, uh, 24-hour news, you've got all the channels on your Sky, or whatever you call it here, you know, the dish, dish t- television. You've got, you, each one of us have got half a dozen ways, not only in which we can hear anything in the world immediately. A tsunami in Japan, we know about it as it happens. We don't know about it a month later when it's all history and it's a long way away. We feel the pressure. We see the starving kids. We see the people with, weeping outside their homes. We see them burying their dead. People saw that, but they saw it down the road. That's all they saw. Then you communicate. You've got all these friends, ha-ha, on Facebook who all need you to tell them what you're doing. And you need to talk about information overload. It's ridiculous. To be honest, I'm not surprised we get depressed. You just can't keep up with it. You can't keep, if you've got the wrong sort of character, and I have, you can't keep everybody on the boil at once. You have to have, I find it really weird. I find email, tech, I'm going off on one now, I can sense it coming over me. Yeah, I'm going to go with it. I'm old, but I find it weird because I still am of the generation that assumes that politely you answer everything. So I want to answer every text, answer every wretched email, answer every blinking Facebook. But I'm told, oh, no, you ignore it. But that's rude. So I feel another pressure. I've ignored them. People have said, they've given me information. I couldn't be bothered. I can't tell you if I've gone shopping or when I went last to the toilet. I don't put it on there. (laughs) Had a great time in the loo this morning. Hallelujah. After the flight, it was a difficult moment, but great. Do you want to know that? No, you didn't want to know that, did you? It's on the tape now. But... Come on. Now, actually, joking apart, by the time you add the layers with our family life and everything, I think there's a pressure which can be exhausting. And I think there are expectations on us that we have to handle very wisely. That's all I say. In church, I'm not going to give you any detail, but I just want to say, be aware that can be depressing or discouraging in any way because you just... Like too busy. Well, I think he was exhausted. But I think there's an emotions angle as well, which is the next word going up. You see, what he'd done had some incredible emotions associated with it. We'll only fast go through these very fast, Aaron, thank you, or whoever's doing it. Just look at what happens. This is 1 Kings 18 skimming what had happened in the previous 24 hours. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Thank you so much. And Elijah replies, I've not made trouble for Israel. You and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. So first of all, the king calls him the troubler of Israel. That's not very nice. Then the next one. Well, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver? This is the people who worship Baal. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. That's magnificent stuff. That is magnificent. But you, there's an emotion involved in doing that. And, they, and, and the people said nothing. Wow, you say that in a dead, icy silence. Oh, whoa. Now Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophet left. Baal has 450 prophets, and he goes for it. Then you get the taunting, the next, um, next slide. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he's a god. 
Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. I told you about that. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. That takes guts, but it takes emotion too. Look at the next one. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and you're turning their hearts back again. It breaks through. The next one. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. That's emotion as well. And the next one. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, I don't think it's hard to imagine anger and pride got hold of him. So I think some of the commentators are right. It is hard for us to be angry at sin and not the sinner. God can do it. We don't. We hate both. (laughs) We can hate the sin and the sinner very easily. It's easy to get filled with a righteous indignation that just pumps you up. And you just let rip and go for it. I think some of this is godly. Some of it, I'm not sure. He's not the only one left, for example, as God's going to tell him. He said, I'm the only one, and I'm going to take you all on. That's great for Clint Eastwood, but actually, that's not slightly true, Elijah. There's a whole lot of other guys who've been hiding in caves and quite brave, actually. But anyway, he forgets that. So, but but he, the emotion carries him along, and I think there's a sort of pride. Maybe Elijah got pride, proud. What clearly happened is he moved from being God-conscious to self-conscious. Now, that can happen to us. You see? Because by the time he's listening to Jezebel, he's not God-conscious. He's self-conscious. And actually, although we don't want to ignore ourselves, we need to keep focused on God. Somewhere, that focus slipped. Maybe as he ran ahead of Ahab, he thought, I can do anything. God, we've just seen the rain. I've even missed the rain one off. He had to pray for rain in the middle of all that. You know, and, and his emotions are just running through him and also perhaps pumping him up in himself. Did he think that? We don't know. Pride is a very subtle sin. And unfortunately, it invariably comes before a fall. That's a biblical principle. Once you get out of the zone of God conscious, you are going to fall. Now, I'm not saying the circumstances won't be horrible. They're not your fault. You're not being punished. For Let me be very clear. Discouragement is not a punishment. You know, like the person who doesn't get saved who you've prayed for or the, or the bad situation. But I'm talking about reaction, how we handle it. Now, Elijah's reaction is actually not what it should be. Why isn't it? Because he's not. When he hears Jezebel's curse, all he sees is Jezebel. He, he is fear of Jezebel has taken over from his faith in God. That wasn't a problem earlier. Now it's a problem. So now he is self-conscious. And it can happen to all of us. Somehow, maybe through success. Isn't that amazing? Through success, be careful. Sometimes our successes are as big a trap as our failures. Because through success, you think the Lord is with me. And you almost drop the Lord bit. You know? it's, I'm with me. Everything's with me. And, uh, you know, everything's with me. I can even run faster than the chariot. You know, whoa. It must be quite fun to do stuff like that. But, but actually, it's God. It's the source of everything. And if you lose that focus on God, you are in for trouble. Well, what are some of the answers? We mustn't spend too long on analysis of the problem. So what was God's response to Elijah's depression. This won't be as long because in a way it's, it's clear, but I, 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 I thank you for giving me the freedom to preach a bit longer because I think this is important for all of us. Okay? What was God's response to Elijah's depression? Here's a wonderful quote from Terry Virgo writing about Elijah. Terry writes, if God were like us, Elijah would probably have been fired, but that is not God's style. When Elijah ran out of gas, he ran straight into grace. And grace never gives up, never ignores, never backs off. Whenever wounded people run into grace, they run into the arms of God who knows exactly what to do. And I tell you, there are lessons in grace in this chapter, which I found moving when I read it, because some of them I hadn't seen, uh, although I'd read the chapter many times before, I hadn't seen them before. Let's just remind you, in verses 3 and 4, we see Elijah just running into the desert. For the first time, he's gone somewhere, and God hasn't told him to go there. God has not told him to do this. He just does it. 
He runs into the desert. He even leaves his companion in verse 3. Whoever this companion is, it's not Elisha. He picks him up later. He leaves his friend. Now, that happens when you get depressed and discouraged. You, you run away sometimes from things. You just don't go to church. It's a very common and false thing to do. I'm down, so I don't go. I go into my cave. I run into my desert. I don't uh, engage with people or God. And he doesn't really until he prays that awful prayer. But he just, he leaves his friend and runs into the desert. But what is God's response? Here's the first thing. It's rest and refreshment. Thank you. Put that up. After Elijah's terrible self-pitying prayer, God does not beat him up. God does not tell him off. He lets Elijah sleep and then he feeds him. Look at this. This is the famous bit. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I, I now I want to quote Terry again, who I found really helpful on this. Terry writes, So often we can be tempted to think that relating to God is all spiritual gymnastics. A frenzy of praying, fasting, and witnessing. That's not true. We must get to know the God who lets us lie down and gives us sleep. God is not looking for a frenzy of activity from you. He's not looking for, as Terry puts it, spiritual gymnastics, praying and fasting. God knows we need rest and sleep. And sometimes, actually, all of us, that's what we need. We don't need to withdraw from the church. We may need to just dial down all our activities. Just rest, just recover, and maybe have a little bit more time. There is nothing to be proud of in being a workaholic in any context, church or your secular work. There's a macho thing around today, particularly in secular work. You know, you, you're a workaholic. It seems to be there a bit in the UK. What, what is it to be proud of about being that? Far better to give time to your family and your life and your health. And we don't want that in church either. There's some macho thing. We are in the grace of God. We want to serve God with, with zeal, but we also want to understand uh, and love him and know him better. And here is something that I found really quite touching about God's grace. I don't know if any of you here have got questions about, is God a gracious God or is God a harsh father? I mean, we still struggle with it. If you want proof, it's in this story. Just listen to me. When Elijah was at the center of God's will in the Kerith Ravine, God provided for him. Do you remember how he did it? He sent him ravens with lumps of food. As we said yesterday. Hmm. Okay, I suppose. When Elijah runs for his life, is disobedient, asks God to kill him, and is totally depressed, God sends an angel to cook a meal for him. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you think that's beautiful? See, you think, God only likes me when I get it right. God only likes it when I'm performing well, when I'm doing things well. When Elijah is doing really well, he gets the ravens. When Elijah is completely blown it, he gets an angel cooking a meal for him. That's our God. I tell you, that is God. Do not let the devil distort your view of God. Don't let him. God is in my face if I get it wrong. It's when I mess up that oh, I'm, I'm suffering because I, I, I got it wrong. I didn't have a quiet time this morning. So God's giving me a kick. Actually, it really is not like that. God is a God of grace. He knows what we're like. He understands our frame. He knows we're dust. He loves us. He loved you when you were an enemy. How will he not now freely give you all things? God is for you, not against you. And if he's for us, who of consequence can be against us? This is scripture. And it's here. God's for Elijah. The devil will tell you, now God won't have anything to do with you. You've messed up. Now you're in trouble. Need him think about praying. God hates you. You're on your own now. You screwed up. That's a lie. That's an utter lie. He got the ravens when he was right on song and he gets the angel cooking him a dinner and waking him up. Lovely cooked meal. Angel. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. Now, when he'd slept and eaten, he goes on. And this is where the commentators get it wrong, I think. Because the angel prepares him for the journey. This is not a false journey like the other one. This is a real journey. God 
directed. The angel says, you're going to have to eat again because you've got a long journey. And he goes for 40 days, which in Bible terms is not bad. It's often a testing. It's a preparation. You get it 40 days, 40 days in the wilderness, all that. So you know that if you know your Bible. So this is not a bad journey. This is a good journey. Let's talk. This is the last point. Back to basics. This is my last point, but it's an important one. What happens? What's happening to Elijah? He goes back to Mount Horeb. To Mount Horeb, which is described as the mountain of God. And it says this in 1 Kings 19, verse 9. Then he went into a cave and spent the night there. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And that's what the commentators get hold of. And they say he was in the wrong place. God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? But it's all in the tone. And I'm not sure they get the tone right. If you read the bit we read right through, it's a gentle whisper. Did you see that? After the storm, God shows I'm the God of, I'm still the God of fire. That's what God's doing with him. He's saying, I can still do the fire stuff, Elijah. That was me, actually, not you. (laughs) I can still do that, but I want to talk to you. And I bring a gentle whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful moment. Let me analyze it for you, with you, to help you. First of all, it's a journey, as I've already said, that God knew about and ordained and prepared him for with the meal. Then Mount Horeb is the mountain of God. That is an honorable destination. In terms of Elijah's covenant, that's where it all is centered. Get that clear in your mind. This is where the law was given. This is God's mountain. Elijah goes back to basics. He goes back to where it all begins. He goes back to where Moses received the law. He goes back to the core. This is not an aimless wander. This is not a run into the desert. This is a God-empowered walk with the meal back to where it all begins, back to basics. Now, what is our Mount Horeb? You probably can answer the question, but I will answer it for you. It's Jesus and it's the cross. And we always have got to come back there. Whatever your discouragement, whatever your battles, you need to find your way back to the basic where it all comes from which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved you, died for you, and rose again. You need to always, whatever difficulties you're facing, get your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Always come back to the cross. Remember what you first believed. I don't even mind saying to you, get saved again. Now, I don't think you can get saved again. I think you're only once saved, and then you've got eternal life. I I understand that. But in a way, sometimes you almost need to go that stage. You have to stop and say, what do I really believe? Why do I believe this? And actually, it's good stuff. You realize, I do believe there's a God. And and he's a God of compassion and a God of love and a God who, who gave his son for me. And I do believe I'm a sinner. I'm very evidently a sinner. I thought I was almost a righteous, holy man. And I found I've been proud and lustful and I've lost my temper and I've lost my peace and you realize yeah i needed saving i needed the blood of jesus to cleanse me i've screwed up i know i needed it and and get back to that you may you say well you know bad things were done to me yeah but you reacted badly this is what happened to elijah he reacted badly he wasn't good and actually he gets back to where it all started real biblical christianity makes sense it makes sense of the world that men and women are sinners and they need the cross and they need the forgiveness of Jesus, that we need to know him and love him. Look to Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 2, 12, consider him that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. You know, you come and say, I don't know why I didn't get my healing. I don't know why my friend got sick. I don't know why the job fell through. I don't know why my kids backslid. I don't know why my parents didn't get saved, but I do know who my redeemer is. It's Jesus. I know whom I have believed in and I trust him with my life. You've got to get there. That is how you rebuild. Elijah goes on for another 10 years after this and he is commissioned to appoint Elisha as his successor. And that takes a 10 year discipleship process which we don't always have to expect to have 10 years. But I just need you to know, a lot more happens. We're not going to have time to look. He has to confront Ahab, which he does, 
over Naboth's vineyard. He gets right back in Ahab's face. He gets back ministering. But he's not going to get back to that till he's come from Horeb, where he's heard God say, what are you doing here, Elijah? So what is this question? Come on, this is not God being angry with. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's a gentle whisper. It's the tone. It's not irritable. It's not critical. I believe it's provoking him to think. God questions are good questions. What are you doing here, Elijah? What's this mean to you, Elijah? What's this place? Why are you here? See, Jesus often asks questions. God's like that. If you read carefully in the Bible, God often does, you know, where are you, Adam? What did you do? Well, God knew what Adam, where Adam was. He wasn't like, oh, where's Adam? Oh, he knew where he was. And, uh, oh, I've lost him. <laughs> I mean, God's not like that. Oh, where's Adam gone? Uh, no, and, um, and God, God asks questions for your sake. Jesus did it, too. Very wise questions, provoking, searching questions. This is a God question, guys. This is a God question. It's not a critical. It's gentle whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? You still game for it? What's this mean? I'm zealous for the Lord my God, but I don't know what to do next. Because I'll tell you what to do next. That's what happens. He's right. He's going to appoint Elisha. He's going to join you. Then actually Jehu, you're going to set him up. He'll deal with Jezebel. And uh, you're going to, there's another guy who has to appoint as king to follow Ahab. So there's going to be plenty to do, but we're going to move out from here now. But he has to come to that point. And you have to. If you, that's where it all levels out and he starts forward again. Amen? So we're going to worship. I don't know how we're going to do it. I'm just, I want to worship Jesus at the end of this talk. I want you, if you get nothing else, we'll have 10 minutes or so, we'll have coffee at quarter two. I, if you get nothing else out of this, and we, may, we will probably pray for people, I want you to get absolutely solid in your heart. We're on admission, whatever happens, the ups and downs, I'm not letting go of Jesus. I stay at Mount Horeb. I don't stay there. I always come back there. It might be a better way of putting it. I always come back to the mountain of God. I come back to the cross I come back to Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, the author and finisher of my faith. Amen? Let's worship him for a few minutes.